0: This is the Conference Hour, and we invite you now to a time of challenge and inspiration as we join in the refreshment of messages centered in the Word of God. Our speaker for today is Dr. Calvin Thielman. His message is entitled, The Friend of God, Abraham, and was recorded at the Montreat Presbyterian Church. Opening up our message for this Conference Hour today is Ed Germann as he gives an illustration for Dr. Thielman. Now let's give our attention to the Director of Public Relations for Montren Henderson College, Ed German. I try to put in perspective what, what, what jiggled uh, Calvin's mind was the fact that this basketball coach is coming and somehow he remembered a story that I told him that I wish right now I never told him but
1: <laughs>
0: and this is a story many many moons ago when I was growing up uh, in, on the streets of New York, so a few of my friends, four or five of my friends, were hanging around. And um, just hanging around, not bothering anybody, of course. And uh, who walked by but a fella who was about yay tall, and his name was Lou Alcindor. Now Lou Alcindor doesn't go by the name of Lou Alcindor anymore. He goes by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he is a very big basketball player. And, uh, He was in the Little League with me and all that kind of stuff. Well, some nincompoop decided to say something to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, actually, Lou Alcinda, and he said, Hey, Lou, and he called him something that Lou did not want to be called. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was the end of it. I told the guy he was a nincompoop or an idiot, and why'd you do that for? (laughs) And he thought he was cool, and we thought that would be the end of the story. However, uh, a short time later, there were many, many screeching cars Uh, all around us and uh, at least 20-25 cars and many many black people came out of those cars and out of the corner of my eye I saw this cop run for protection and cover (laughs) into the firehouse I thought we were—I thought everything was cool and everything was going to be fine except when I saw the cop running and he wasn't calling for help I knew we were in trouble and old Big Lou got out of the car and said uh, and said who called me such and such and uh I was kind of waiting for the nimcompoop to say who called them. He didn't say anything. So we tried to tell them about this terrible crowd that was down the, down the, hung out down the corner. Boy, they were terrible. They called people like names like that all the time. We're athletes. We play stickball all the time. There's nothing to worry about with us. <laughs> so they left, and I'm serious now, they left about 80 people to guard us. And uh, they sent about 20 scouts down, uh, down the street to find if they, see if they could find anybody. Well, they couldn't find anybody, so they came, they came back up. And they didn't know who they wanted to kill or who they wanted to hurt, should they hurt all of us? What exactly should they do? And they're trying to make this decision on what they're going to do. And we're standing there, we're kind of eyeing this guy who has his mouth shut like crazy now. Couldn't couldn't keep it shut a minute ago. All of a sudden I hear out of the car, one of the cars parked there, Ed (laughs) Germain. I couldn't believe my ears. Nobody from Harlem or Bedford-Stuyvesant knows Ed Germain. He didn't say Germain, he's (laughs) Germain. Ed your man, come here. So I go rather sheepishly over the car. I went to the car and I look in and I see this monster of a person looking at me and I look in his eyes and I recognize him from, of all things years ago, the Little League. And he, I wish I changed a little more so he didn't recognize me, but he recognized me. And he, he said, who did it, Ed and I look into his eyes and I know that he knew that I knew.
1: <laughs>
0: I said, It wasn't me, John. <laughs> who did it, Ed? I said, John, I said, I can tell you, you know, who did it. I said, but I'm not gonna be able to live around here anymore if I tell you who did it. And he says, You're not gonna be able to live around here if you don't.
1: <laughs> so I said, Well,
0: I'd rather you guys do it. Then have my guys do it. So he said, Okay. Next thing I knew, some some little guy about that big <laughs> grabbed my arms and threw them up there, and I was on my tippy toes for a long time. <laughs> and next the second thing I knew is I was basically, I'm glad Lou Alcinda had a shirt on, I'll be looking at his belly button. <laughs> and I was like that, and his hand was down like this and said, Who did it? The third thing I knew is someone pulled out a knife and put it right here in the fleshy little part of your neck. And I was like that. And that little fellow was holding my arms thinking it was hurting me, didn't realize it, but he was doing me a favor because if, if he wasn't, it hurt so much just to move that my, my toes were so tired I would have came down. <laughs> and if I came down that knife would have went through my neck. And he, he was thinking he was hurting me, but he was doing the best favor he could do for me. And finally, anyway, he said, who did it, who did it, who did it? And this, this crazy person with the knife, he had one knife in one hand, I think. But I know he had a knife here And he kept screaming Let me cut him Lou! Let me cut him Lou! Let me cut him Lou! <laughs> well, I just, did, I just knew there were so many Let me, let me cut him Lou's in this game And uh, I kept looking over at that guy Who I kept having his mouth shut And uh, finally Lou said After he said, I'm going to tell you one more time Who called me such and such? And I said, I can't tell you And he said Cut him My heart drops <laughs> And just as the guy Put this big ugly look And smile on his face And came at me With his little tools Out of the car Came Stop I standing there. And the guy goes John I'm not gonna cut him I'm not gonna cut him Stop I gotta cut him <laughs> Stop So our cinder walks over To the car and they have a big argument. And now Cinder comes back and said, you are a, well, he said a lucky man. And then he gave us a warning, gave all the white people a warning not to do that, those crazy things and say those crazy words in New York City. And they let me go. And I couldn't believe it. And everybody got back in the cars and everybody drove off and a cop came out of the, out of the fire station, maybe believe it and see a thing. <laughs> and I was gonna kill that guy but I was shaking too much to do it. I mean the guy who said it and um, I saw this fellow about three months later the guy who said stop and it wound up with a strange situation because he was the first black person on the Little League team in my neighborhood that was seven or eight years before and he was 12 years old that was the last year that you could be on the Little League team in my neighborhood and he came to the team and came to practice one night and as soon as he came, everybody kind of turned their backs. And I was either too smart, or too stupid, or too something to be prejudiced. And I felt so sorry for that guy. I said, hey, John. John. His name was John Graham. I said, John. And he looked. I said, catch. So he said to me that that incident, he said, I saw him as I said, John, thanks for saving my life. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I'll never do it again. He said, we are even. <laughs> I said what did I do even what did I ever do for you and he told me about that time I took a ball and I threw it to him I said hey John catch the whole purpose of Calvin having me tell a story is the fact that well the fact that, that there wasn't really luck involved Calvin assures me of that God had his hands on me even back then but the fact of the matter is that you never know when someone, maybe not this dramatically, is going to pull a knife to your throat. You never know when some person, some idiot, next to you or in a car or on a highway is going to do something that's going to cost you your life. And I just want to leave that for everybody to think about in the name of Jesus Christ.
1: I want to thank. Uh, Ed Germain for leading us in worship and for telling us this story for several reasons. Number one, it's a great illustration of how uh, God, in response to faith, is protecting us even before we have any idea of what he's doing. He's working out just as he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees when he was still an idol worshiper. And so he salvaged Ed and brought him down to this day. By the way he speaks, I think he'll wind up being a preacher. Let us pray. Our Father, we do bless you for your amazing grace and for the incredible way in which you have kept us down through the ages, for the marvelous privilege that we have of meeting here today and of glimpsing into acres of diamonds when we think of the remarkable faith would you have opened unto us the gates of salvation and life forever through faith in Jesus Christ in such active power from that faith in him that we may effectively live in this life that we have before us now because we want others to share in that joy and in that salvation and be blessed through him because we want them to have the dignity of being born anew through that grace which you extend by faith. We ask that you will bless the gifts which we bring and the worship of our church and the extension and preaching of the gospel through it to the end that many may be brought to faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. One of the greatest preachers in all of the history of America was a simple layman whose name was Dwight Lyman Moody. And Mr. Moody used to say that the sweetest thing in all of the world to him was the will of God. He used to say that people were afraid of the will of God because they were afraid of what they might find, but that when we really surrendered our wills to the will of God, we would know the sweetness and the power and the strength and the joy which he could bring. And he said this, If I know my own mind, if an angel should come down from the throne of God and tell me that I could have my will done for the rest of my days on earth and that everything I wished would be carried out or that I might refer it back to God and let God's will be done in me and through me, I know that in an instant I would say, let the will of God be done. And one of the reasons that he says that is because of his knowledge of the scriptures. He said that he used to pray for faith and then he read in the Bible that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he quit praying for faith and started to read the word of God and see how faithful God was in the carrying out of his promises. And then he began to live on the basis of that faith. And one of his favorite characters, of course, was Abraham. It's interesting that of all of the people in the Bible, perhaps none is better known than Abraham. Muslims, Jews, Christians, all reverence and revere the name of Abraham. We know that he was born in a sophisticated and very advanced city of antiquity called Ur of the Chaldees. And in that Chaldean place where he was born, he was a heathen, born to heathen parents, and little is known of him until he is 70 years of age, a striking proof that somehow God's monitions, his own workings, had already been at work in his life in the far-off land of Canaan, just as God was at work in Ed's life on the streets of New York City. Abraham received a distinct call from God And that call from God we can read about in the 12th chapter of Genesis. God called him to get up and to get out of Ur of the Chaldees and to obey him in going off into Canaan, off to another land. And if you thought about this, Ur of the Chaldees, the sophisticated city that it was, the city with all of its advanced things, and that he was to leave this place of luxury and go to a place of hardship. I remember last year when we were coming back through uh, Europe after being in Korea, we visited uh, one of our sons at Cambridge, and I went to uh, the place where he lived. And Ur of the Chaldees, during Abraham's time, had central heating. They have proof of this in the British Museum today because they've reconstructed part of that same place where he was. And to think of it, they had central heating. And England doesn't even have it now. <laughs> At least they didn't in the house that we stayed in. Uh, and uh, uh, so it was a very advanced place. And God said to, Ur of the, uh, said to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, I want you to get up from your centrally heated place in Ur and I want you to go to your uncentrally heated tent because you're going to move out on the basis of my call. You're leaving a certainty to go to an uncertain place and he obeyed and went out. This morning I read a letter from R.K. and Toddy Robinson out in Korea. Soon they will have completed 32 years of service for Jesus in the land of Korea. They went out there willingly obeying God And they found God to be faithful to them. And they've served him marvelously and wonderfully well. Well, he was taught lessons of patience in waiting upon God. The eternal God was speaking to him. He had made him promises. He had told him of things that would be done in and through his life. He had told him that out of his posterity, out of his descendants, would come blessings for all of the earth and that his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky in number and more than the grains of sand upon the earth. And Abraham believed God. He believed God and so he left the security of Ur of the Chaldees and he went on his journey. He he was not without his failings And there came a time when a famine hit and he sidetracked into Egypt. And if you read his story there, you will know that Sarah, his wife, was a beautiful woman. And Abraham, instead of admitting that uh, she was his wife, said to her, If I tell them that you are my wife because you are a very beautiful person, they will kill me to take you for themselves. And so I'll tell them that you are my sister. And this blot upon his character occurs there and it brought a great deal of hardship upon the uh, king, Abimelech, where he had gone. And when the king realized that something was wrong, he had not touched her, he sent to Abraham to find out. And when he learned the truth, uh, he spared the man's life, Abraham, but chided him as Christians are sometimes chided for their unfaithfulness. And so Abraham learned a lesson. He learned a lesson from that because God was disciplining him after he had awakening, awakened him in his faith. And then Abraham began to continue his journey into Canaan land. And you remember the story of Lot, his nephew, a sort of weak character who followed Abraham, and how their herds increased and their flocks increased and they were blessed with great wealth and then strife began to arise between their herdsmen. And Abraham and Lot had a meeting and Abraham said it's not good that our herdsmen should strive with each other. You look out the land which for you is the best and take it and whatever you choose I will take what's left. That's a very rare position for a person to take, but that's the position that Abraham took. I wonder how many of us would have enough faith in God not to insist upon our own rights, but to realize that God would fulfill his own purpose and promise to us ultimately and be generous enough to give up our own will that God's will might be done in our life and not act from a selfish motive. Mr. Moody, referring to him again, said that it was hard for him to give up in Boston to go to Chicago after his conversion. And then when he got to Chicago, his ambition was to make, uh, back then, $100,000. He'd actually made $50,000 in the shoe business, which was a considerable amount of money then. And then God called him to go into full-time Christian service And he gave up that business. And he organized a huge Sunday school. And he worked in the YMCA movement. And he started his evangelistic campaigns and his huge Moody Church in Chicago. And then he launched into a worldwide ministry. He obeyed God. And when he obeyed God, God blessed him. And God blessed Abraham when he let Lot have his way. But Lot was not so blessed. You remember he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Sodom has become a gross, evil, immoral, debauched word because it stands for horrible sins which have now become respectable and acceptable in some societies. But they will only spell ruination ultimately. And uh, Lot pitched his tent in that way. He thought that prosperity would be worth it but no prosperity is worth that. And it will not be that way with him. And when angels from God that Ed read about in our first lesson came to Abraham's tent and began to tell him that destruction would fall upon Sodom because of the gross sin of homosexuality which was rampant in that debauched place and that the fire of God would destroy it Abraham said to him, will not the God of all the earth do right? Won't you do right by this? What if there are 50 people in that city who are righteous? Won't you spare it for them? And the angel said, yes. And then uh, what if there are 45 and then 40 and then the numbers go down? What if there are only 10? That shows us that We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be a sanctifying influence. And this man was seeking to intercede there in a way that was good. Abraham was willing to intercede that God's will might be done. God's will in sparing that city. But there were not even enough righteous there for it to be spared. And so Lot was told to escape and he did escape and the wrath of God fell upon that dreadful place and it has become synonymous with the wrath of God to this day. And then Abraham went through another perfecting of his faith and that is what always brings us to the most poignant scene in his entire life. God had promised him a son And yet in his old age, he still did not have a son. And when his wife was old and past the time when she would conceive, an angel of God had said that she would conceive. And you remember that Sarah laughed at the improbability of such a thing occurring. And God did fulfill his promise. And a little boy named Isaac was born. He was born as one of the promise and he is referred to in Hebrews chapter 11 because God will take a man who is old and a woman who is old and his good is dead and out of them will raise up this great company of people who will be blessed and we are blessed today through that company of people to this very hour right now. Think of it what God would do because Abraham will believe God and his belief, his faith will be counted unto him for righteousness and he will take the long view. He will take the long view. I remember reading about a man some years ago uh, whose wife was an artist and he could not see much in her painting which she thought was beautiful. And... uh, so he said to her that it all the colors were all distorted to him. And she reckoned that there might be something wrong with his eyesight. And so he went to, this was a long time ago, and he went to a, an op, what they called an oculus then. And the man tested his eyes and found that one eye had short vision and one eye had long vision, which created a blur. And then by making the proper pair of glasses for him, he could see clearly. And then he so liked it that he built a museum for the paintings that his wife had. Uh, It was a marvelous thing that it occurred. Well, this man here is given a long view and a short view, and things are in a blur, but when God gives him the vision of faith, then he can see clearly. And when he sees clearly, things are brought into their right perspective. And when they are in their right perspective, then God can do great things. God took this little boy that came in answer to prayer and God told Abraham one day to go up Mount Moriah. I do not know how many cemeteries I've passed who have been called Moriah or Calvary because they are always places of pain, places of agony, places of sorrow. And Abraham had to take his son up Mount Moriah and you can read that in Genesis 22. And after three days and three nights when they had gotten to the place where he was to offer up Isaac who carried the bundle of wood on his back which would be used to create a fire for the altar and the burnt sacrifice, God spoke to Abraham at just the precise moment. You remember the little boy guilelessly said to his father, Father, here is the altar which has been built and here is the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? That's one of the greatest questions of all of history. Where is the lamb? Where is one good enough to fulfill all that needs to be fulfilled to be the perfect sacrifice by which our sins might be taken away. Father, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide. And when he had bound the boy and placed him upon the altar and had lifted up the knife to slay his son an angel called out to him not to harm the boy at all. And a ram was caught in a thicket, and that ram was offered up as a sacrifice because that was to betoken the day when God's own great love for us would be typified as Abraham's love here for his son was. God did offer up his son on the cross, And he did die for our sins and bore in our sins his own body on the tree. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Bind your Isaac to the altar, bind him there with many a cord. O my brother, do not falter. Can't you fully trust your Lord? He it is who watches o'er you. though your path may oft be dim, He will bring new life to Isaac, leave the miracle to him. And in this supreme test, in this supreme test, Abraham was faithful, and in this supreme test, our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful and God brought him back from the dead. And God has made for us a sacrifice for sin and given to us an example of faith which we are meant to follow to this day. And then I want to say a word about this phrase, the friend of God. All of us need friends. I don't think anyone in the world is more conscious of this than I am myself. I have gone through periods of depression. I have gone through periods of frustration and sickness. I have gone through periods of testing when I needed a friend. And God has provided a friend. And friends have come to me, friends whose lives have been touched by Jesus Christ, who have been willing to put up with me with all of my faults and failings, and love me still, and show me the love of Jesus, and assist me in my trouble, and show me that life is worth living. And when I think of the list of people today that were prayed for when Ed led us in prayer. These are people who need to be shown our friendship and our love too. When you see a mother in the hospital whose 15-year-old boy is the apple of her eye and the delight of her life and she has lost one leg with cancer and is in chemotherapy now and you speak to her about the love of Jesus and she calls you on the phone after you've been there and weeps you can know that God means for that love of the Lord Jesus to be extended now, today, to people that are around you and if you're not extending it, you don't know Jesus You just think you know him. You're playing church. There are people that do not need to be insulted because of their race, as Ed talked about earlier, but shown the love of Jesus. And are we showing them that love, that he cares for them regardless of the pigmentation of their skin, that they are precious in his sight, Do we believe God's Word, we who have so many copies of it? Last week I heard a man say that a man who had been converted in the First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley when he was doing a PhD in in physics had gone back to China and had found a group of a thousand Christians in a province where there was one Bible for one thousand Christians. And when these Christians met secretly, they each had copied out pages of the Bible and would exchange its pages so that they could have the inspiration of faith that comes. Are we a friend to these? May I close with these words. For all that we have read and heard in Abraham's history, that any mortal man should be able to be a friend of Almighty God still remains a startling thing to us. But not about Jesus Christ. We could have befriended him ourselves. And I think, no, I feel sure that we would have done it too. Multitudes of men and women who were weak and evil and as unbelieving as we are will be led out at the last day to receive the thanks of God the Father because they befriended his friendless son the women of Galilee who ministered to him of their substance will be brought forward. Martha will be brought forward, the woman at the well, the owner of the colt, the owner of the upper room, the owner of Gethsemane, Simon the Cyrenian who helped to carry his cross, the soldier who gave him vinegar to drink, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, the women with their spices, the angel who rolled away the stones, Oh, you cry, how you envy the men and the women to whom the Father will say, inasmuch as you did it to him, you did this unto me. But as you still cry that, this scripture will come into your mind, and you will remember it when I repeat it. You are my friends if you do. Not think about it. But if you do whatever I command you and again greater loveth no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends and again henceforth I call you not servants but I have called you friends Abraham laid down his life in the life of Isaac at the call of God and Jesus Christ the son of God almighty And the son of Abraham laid down his life at the same call. But our call, our first call, is not yet to lay down our life, but to take Jesus as our friend who has laid down his life for ours. Now what do you say to this? Are you his friend? Have you given Jesus Christ lordship in your life? Has this man laid down his life for you? He has. And if you have ever asked him to do it, he has if you have ever come up to his cross and said over him, he gave himself here for me. He has if you have ever said, I lay my sin on my Savior. And if he has saved you from sin, he has saved you also to serve And to be a friend. Ed had his life literally spared because he befriended a friendless black boy. You can show the friendship and the love of Jesus even to someone else today if you are willing to surrender your will to the will of God because Jesus said whoever gives a cup of cold water in my name will not lose his reward and many shall say to him in that day when did we see you hungry or naked or sick and visited you and he will say inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these the least of my brethren ye have done it unto me. We will omit the last hymn and stand for the benediction. Our Father, a heavy lesson is laid upon us when we seek to read what Abraham did. And yet we thank you that he believed you and you accounted that unto him for righteousness and that we may be saved by believing on you this day too. If there is one person here who has not yet believed on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of his or her life, enable that person now to end the controversy with you and to admit that you are God and that you have not allowed your Son to die upon the cross just to be talked about in sermons and as a topic of conversation and books on theology but to redeem us and to transform us into his likeness and help us so to live that when this last breath of ours is breathed and we are ushered into your presence that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Help us to say with old Dr. Bell of our congregation in the words of the psalmist, I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness and make us like the Savior. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father And the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all, now and forevermore.